Preston in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta, and I am delighted to have you with me. We're talking about the things that matter most. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, my guest, as we really travel all over the globe looking for stories of interest to uh, those who possess Catholic faith and those of us who are interested in the Catholic Church uh, as an institution. Um, that's I think of the church in two ways. Think of it as a communion, right? Uh, but it's also an institution. And if we don't take seriously the institutional dimension of the church, um, <laughs> we're going to miss a lot. Uh, I've been reading the second volume of Peter Sewell's biography of Benedict XVI. And time and again, as he's forced to deal with terrible scandal and corruption. He keeps reminding himself that um, when the nets are thrown out uh, and to bring fish in, that it picks up good fish and bad fish. And this is very true. Uh, we learn that the weeds grow up with the wheat. And um, that will be the way it is until Christ returns and the angels um, do the, the sorting out that we hear about in Scripture. So we're going to talk about some stories. Uh, we'll hear about saints. We'll hear about the catacombs in Rome. We'll hear about Polycarp. But we'll also hear about uh, stories about an Australian Bishop Emeritus who at 74 is finally being forced to deal with his uh, background of uh, debauchery. And we'll also talk about Mexican bishops who had to meet with members of organized crime recently because the civil authorities uh, no longer possess control in the Mexican province of uh, Guerrero. So uh, we've got a lot coming up this hour, and that's just a taste of what we're going to be talking about on this feast of St. Polycarp. First, though, let's get the headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Friday, February 23rd. It's the Feast of St. Polycarp. Today's news is brought to you by Visiting Angels, providing loving care and assistance for seniors in need at visitingangels.com. Deputies' body cameras captured the moment they found two very young children abandoned in a car that had been left in the remote area of southern Oregon. Sheriff's office, if anybody's in the vehicle, show yourself now. Sheriff's office, I can hear kids crying. When they opened the doors, they found two children ages six months and a year and a half still buckled into their seats. They were allegedly abandoned by 24-year-old Justin Trompeter after a domestic assault nine days earlier. Deputies say the kids were in relatively good condition. Trumpeter remains on the run. President Biden is opposing more than 500 new sanctions on Russia in response to the death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny and Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Make no mistake, Putin is responsible for Alexei's death. Yesterday I met with Alexei's wife and daughter in California, where his daughter attends college. 
Alexei was an incredibly courageous man. Biden called on the House to pass a $95 billion Senate-approved foreign aid package that includes critical military aid for Ukraine. Pope Francis has created a new diocese in the western African country of Guinea. The Diocese of Bouquet will serve as a population of a little over 1 million people, of whom about 10,000 are Catholic. There have been multiple initiatives undertaken in Bouquet to promote religious dialogue in the predominantly Muslim country. Alabama's attorney general says he has no intention of prosecuting IVF families or providers. The AG making the comments after the state Supreme Court ruled frozen embryos are children. This all comes after fertility clinics in Alabama halted certain IVF treatment programs due to concerns that medical personnel could be at risk legally. From your AlviMariaRadio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. And uh, on this Friday, we are taking time to look at stories that uh, have circulated this week, stories from around the world having to do with the Catholic faith and with the Catholic Church uh, as an institution. And with us right now to guide us through all these conversations is Dr. Matthew Bunsen. He's Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News and a senior fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. He's authored, co-authored, or edited more than 50 books, including the first English-language biography of Pope Francis. And you can hear him uh, on registered radio Saturdays at 4 p.m. and Sundays at 11 a.m. You can also follow him on Twitter at Matt Bunsen, M-A-T-T. Well, Matthew, good to have you here again. Thanks. Uh, A privilege, as always. Let's... Let's pick up that conversation we had earlier this week about the German bishops. Yes. And if, and it, we, if we know anything more, uh, we understand that the German bishops decided to avoid taking a vote which had to do with a new governing structure for the church in Germany. They decided not to go with the vote. Anything more we can say about it? Well, yeah, the, uh, one of the things that uh, we're seeing unfolding, uh, and I'm glad that we're continuing this conversation because I think uh, we're going to see this play out in stages, let's put it that way, okay. is that uh, one of the most important small groups in Germany, in my view, the, it's called Neuer Anfang, which is uh, German for a new beginning, which is uh, a group that's been pretty critical throughout of the whole synodal way. Uh, reiterated just a few days ago uh, in an open letter uh, calling on the bishops to, as they put it, accept that the very foundation of the Senate always controversial demands are based, uh, they're, they're made of sand. And yeah. I think that's worth stressing here because there's this overall assumption, sometimes portrayed especially in progressive Catholic media, that the average German Catholic or all German Catholics are somehow wildly in support of everything that the Synodal Way is doing. Yeah. And I think that the what we have seen playing out with the German bishops over the last days is they uh, heeded the Vatican and chose, in fact, not to uh, proceed with, uh, at least for the moment, this vote to establish a Synodal Council. I think that's it's worth noting that there is significant pushback against this Good. Uh, in Germany. And I think uh, we can't underestimate 
the the significance of that and to be honest the the, the heroism of uh the Catholics who are there who are fighting a really good fight. Largely Catholic laity? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Now, there are obviously some significant bishops there who are uh, playing important roles in this. Mm-hmm. But, again, I, I think we need to uh, recognize that group. Yeah. Uh, that's a very good point. And I, I, I always wondered, uh, when I hear, I've heard progressive theologians speak, and I always wonder, what do they actually believe that we have a sure word from God? In other words, uh, one reason I'm an active Catholic today is because I actually believe that God has spoken, He's revealed Himself, and that His will can be known mm-hmm. uh, through the teaching authority of the Catholic Church. <laughs> Which is, which is tied directly, of course, to the teaching authority of Jesus. Yes. Uh, and, and I don't get, the, when I hear progressive theologians talk, there's this dance around the idea of revelation. Uh, there's a, there's a uh, lack of confidence that we can actually, from the scriptures or from sacred tradition, that we can um, arrive at certain propositions which are true about the divine, true about what he expects of us, true about the human person and our destiny, our origin and our destiny. And so I just wonder, when push comes to shove, if you don't think God has spoken, don't you eventually just drift away? That, well, yeah, I think uh, that's absolutely inevitable. Uh, and we're seeing in playing out in Germany, but but this is true, as you note, uh, in theologates, uh, in Catholic universities and elsewhere, this embrace of subjectivity of um, what, certainly what Pope Benedict XVI, or I should say more precisely, Joseph Ratzinger, on the day that they walked into the conclave that elected him, mm-hmm. Pope Benedict XVI, warned about uh, this dictatorship of relativism. Right, right. And... But what we're seeing is modernism. We are seeing, and this has been playing out now for several centuries. Certainly we can point fingers at at the the Protestant Reformation that that unraveled so much of this. Mm -hmm. Then we get into, and you've talked about this many times with great experts on this show, but the the impact of the Enlightenment, of Kant and others, the French Revolution, and then all the great isms that followed. But we're seeing that now really playing out here. And I I think if you wanted to have a a poster child for what that looks like lived in the church today, I would point exactly toward the German Synodal Way because this idea of subjectivity, it is the idea of embracing. And and that the word modernism itself, I think, catches that so nicely that, well, we have to be modern. So we have to respond and embrace what the social sciences might teach us. Right. You know, social sciences 50 years ago said something different, and social sciences of 50 years before that said something different. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's, there's an uncertain foundation uh, that they're trying to build on. I mean, today is the feast of St. Polycarp, and you have to ask yourself, do, do these progressive theologians, are they of, of a sort that would produce uh, the faith of a Polycarp? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a question to ask, in fact, and Polycarp's a great example. We know that he, when he was arrested, uh, they brought him 
before the authorities and very famously uh, they told him that uh, he would be free to go without any problem if he simply declared Caesar as Lord. Yeah. Yep. And he refused. So they came back and they said, all right, well, what about if you just burn incense in the name of the emperor? <laughs> so, I mean, from their standpoint, look, we're trying to work we're with you here. We're working with you, man. You know, give us something. We'll let you go. We yeah, Throw us a bone here. But imagine, though, with this type of thinking, you could rationalize, well, maybe I could. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it would be very easy to do so. Right. Unless you were confident that you were standing before Almighty God and that he knew you and had paved, your, your life had been brought forward by his will. Yeah, I, I, I just think it'd be difficult. Uh, you'd have to, you'd always be questioning uh, whether this was God's will or not. Uh, you know? Right. Huh. But it's also why Pius X in, I think it was Pascendi Dominici Gregi, referred to modernism as, quote, the synthesis of all heresies. Yeah, yeah. Because it really, it, it, before our eyes, we're, we're seeing play out uh, in the German synodal way so many of the, the heresies and, and concerns and malformations and deformations of the faith that, that Pius X warned about that so many others have warned about. And if you just look at the what were the four pillars of the German synodal way, we've got... The question of authority, we can come back to that in a second. The, the prospect of the ordination of women. We have refiguring or reimagining the whole priesthood. Yep. And beyond even just the idea of ending uh, celibacy for priests. And then uh, the, the biggest thing for them from the beginning has been uh, unraveling the church's teachings on human sexuality, in particular uh, her teachings on homosexuality. Right. And we hear from prelates. We, we've quotes from Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich, who's the uh, relator general for the Synod, although he has emphasized repeatedly, to be fair to him, it's, he did not propose changing church teaching, but he has talked about, well, we have to look at social sciences and then rewrite, perhaps, the catechism. Yeah. That, that's a common refrain now. Yeah. In order to be more reflective of where society is today. And you just plug that into almost anything that Polycarp faced in pagan Roman culture. And you'll see that when it, it simply doesn't work. Right. No, and I, I'm grateful that we've got this pushback in Germany. The group... Is this a formal name that they have? A new yes. beginning? Okay. Yeah, so it's, uh, it stands in such interesting contrast to, uh, to my mind because here we have this group that is uh, really standing up uh, in the face of a lot of problems in the German church. But it, again, it stands in sharp contrast uh, to the driving force in many ways of the Synodal Way in Germany of the so-called Central Committee of German Catholics, the ZDK. Mm. And this is the group, for example, that uh, without, despite what the Vatican has asked for repeatedly, what Pope Francis has asked for, they've already approved, for example, back in last November, uh, the committee statutes for the formation of this Synodal Council that ostensibly would govern the church in Germany. And the next step was going to be the bishops themselves voting on these statutes. But that's where the Vatican, I think, finally reached a red line yeah. and said, no, yeah. you cannot do this, which brings us back to this 
the contrast is so sharp between the Central Committee of German Catholics and the, the faithful Catholics there in Neuer Anfang, but other people who have stood forward. You know, let's remember that Pope Francis sent a, a remarkable letter uh, to four of the German women who wrote him, right. expressing his concerns about that. So where this is going to play out, I think, is going to be the big question. Because it, it, as I mentioned, these four pillars of the Synodal Way, if we go back to what was at the heart of what the Synodal Council was being put forward to do, it is to govern the church, which cannot happen. It is sacramentally not possible, and it, it, ecclesiologically it's not possible right. for the bishops right. to surrender this type of authority. That's right. Yeah, they, they are part of the divine constitution of the church. You cannot resign your spiritual paternity um, <laughs> in the interest of democratizing doctrine. No, it won't right. happen. And there we go back again to this, uh, this the tenets of modernism of embracing this modern view. And and I've read the, the documents from the Synodal Way that, that have been issued over the last years, and it is a, it's a masterwork, so to speak, of if you wanted to take social sciences, sociology, mm-hmm. uh, and modern conceptions of the human person, human sexuality, in, in, I would argue, in my opinion, the worst possible ways. Yeah. It's all in these documents. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, hold it there, Matthew. We'll pick it up on the other side. I want to talk about uh, this Argentine nun who was remembered for her smile. She's now considered for sainthood. And again, you have to ask, what kind of faith produces saints? I'm Al Cresta. Be right back. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. This Saturday morning at 11.30, join us for another special edition of the Bishop's Hour. Bishop Earl Boyer of the Lansing Diocese joins host Father Tim McDonald for an engaging conversation. This week, Bishop Boyer discusses the meaning of Lent, the Lenten fish fries, the World Day of Marriage, and the upcoming men's conference. The Bishop's Hour, Saturday morning at 11.30, and repeated on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on this Ave Maria radio station. On the next Epiphany. If you blow on a spark, it will glow. If you spit on it, it will be put out and both come out of your mouth. Hi, Vanessa Denhagarmo here. John Birch will talk about his book, Loving God's Children, The Church and Gender Ideology. Then Dr. Lisa Marie Carson will give us an update on the Heart of Christ Clinic. 
Epiphany, weekdays at noon on Ave Maria Radio. Light of the East, weekends on Ave Maria Radio. I'm Father Thomas Loya. This week on Ave Maria, behold, the church is covered with a heavenly garment by the icons, thus preserving the true faith. May those who do not believe this be covered with shame. Now on Ave Maria Radio's newest FM stations, 105.5 FM in Southfield and 107.9 FM in Ann Arbor. This week on Christ is the Answer, it's the season of Lent, and Father John wants to help us prepare for Easter. It's only been about a week into Lent, but have you stuck to your goals of fasting and prayer, or have you hit that spiritual roadblock? It's not too late. The church has so many faithful ways for us to traverse this season of penance. So if you need encouragement, join us again this week as Father John helps us get the most out of Lent. Tune in for Christ is the Answer, Monday through Fridays at 11 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. When I heard other business owners say they finally found someone in the credit card industry they can trust, I wondered how he could help me. So when Mark from Schistler CPC offered to show me where all the money goes for credit card processing with a free analysis of my business, I jumped on it. He reviewed how the industry works, where we could save, and offered a no-contract guarantee on savings and excellent customer service. I'm saving thousands of dollars a year. Schistler CPC. Trust in them. More information available on the Ave Maria website under Sponsor Business Directory. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me is Dr. Matthew Bunsen. It's our weekly look at stories from around the globe having to do with the Catholic faith and the church as an institution, and we have uh, Archbishop Sergio Fanoi, uh, not sure if that's the right pronunciation, of uh, Santa Fe de la Vera Cruz in Argentina, who signed the edict that has begun the process prior to the opening of the cause of canonization of Sister Cecilia Maria of the Holy Face, a Carmelite nun who died from cancer in 2016 at the age of 43. How much do we know about Sister Cecilia Maria of the Holy Face? Quite a bit, actually, and, and uh, I'm so glad you wanted to talk about this because uh, I used the word a couple of times in the last segment about contrast. Yes. Here we have a contrast uh, between sort of the, the negative, dour uh, outlook that seems to grip uh, so many of the advocates of the Synodal Way, and we have the joy of this Sister Cecilia Maria. Uh, who died at the age of 43 from cancer. And I would encourage everyone to go to uh, catholicnewsagency.com. The title of the, the piece is Argentine Nun Remembered for Her Smile. And you can see her smile in death. Hmm. And it's not, it's, there's nothing macabre about this. It's, it's a face of joy. And one of the things that... Uh, really sparked, I think, uh, the, the start of the cause for canonization uh, is 
everyone remembers her love and trust and her joy. Hmm. And you know, joy is one of the great signs of the Christian. Yes. And in that sense, I think she's a great role model. We, we see that consistently now, though, don't we, with the kind of joy. I think of Carlo Acutis, for example, yes. the young, young man who died. I think of uh, uh, Chiara uh, Badano, uh, another young woman who died. Uh, with joy, uh, everyone remembers them for their laughter, even in the face of such horrendous suffering. But it's not the kind of saccharine happiness uh, right. that some people love to claim that so they can dismiss the joy that we have. Right, right. No, this is, it, 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 I mean, I agree with you. Uh, I think joy is a hallmark of sanctity. And, it's, and again, it comes back to uh, a person who knows God and knows God's, um, knows their own origin and destiny um, because of who Christ is. And so they live that joy. And yeah. uh, and it's something that becomes a characteristic of them. I think of even uh, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who, though she was without, uh, for lack of a better term, consolations for so long, uh, maintained that joyful spirit about her. So Yeah. Well, this young woman, uh, who I said, as I said died at the age of 43 in, in 2016, uh, was uh, from Argentina, of course, entered the Discalced Carmelites, and interestingly enough, received the name Cecilia Maria of the Holy Face, which, uh, it, it turns out, I think was kind of prophetic. Mm-hmm. But, again, everyone remembered her for her happiness, her joy. Uh, she was very good at playing the violin, uh, always had a smile, diagnosed with tongue cancer really? that uh, soon metastasized, especially oh, to the lungs. What a strange thing. Wow. And... What was funny was because it was difficult, I believe, for her to speak, obviously. But she wrote on a piece of paper as she knew that her death was coming. And forgive me for quoting it, but I was thinking, she wrote, about what I wanted my funeral to be like. First, a little intense prayer, and then a big party for everyone. Don't forget to pray, but don't forget to celebrate either. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And there's this, uh, as, as you know, one of the, the hallmarks uh, for determining whether a cause can get underway. We have evidence of sanctity. Well, I'm sure there will be investigations into whatever writing she had, although we don't know what there is of those, perhaps letters. But then also uh, helping us all to understand her life better and her times. But one of the things that you always have to look at when you're doing an investigation of the causes of saints is what is the legacy of this person? What did they leave behind? And is there this testimony of them that endures over the passage of time? Now, she's only been gone since 2016. Right. right. But it's very clear that she left uh, a legacy of joy and happiness and drew people to Christ because of that joy. And we'll have to see how the the cause plays out over the next years. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think this is a great story. Yeah, I do too. And I, I love it because we, you know, we look at what's going on around the world, and oftentimes, you know, there's stories. I'm looking here, in fact, um, I got a story, a Father Rupnik story about an alleged victim speaking publicly for the first time. I've got another story about the Australian uh, Bishop Emeritus of Broome, Australia, who apparently was uh, getting involved in uh, so-called bunga bunga parties, uh, which. Uh, took me a while to find out what those were, 
<laughs> I'm sorry. You're probably <laughs> regretting that you did. Well, <laughs> it is. It's. Uh, it's. it's uh, think of think of debauchery um, in the nude, and yes. you know what a bunga bunga party is. Yes, uh, it is. Uh, just the, the phrase itself is kind of self-explanatory, <laughs> but um, and, and not in any way to make light of it. Uh, anyone who followed uh, Italian politics over the last. Decade oh, or yeah. so. Silvio Berlusconi had yeah. used the exact same phrase. Now, it's a phrase I know that dates back to uh, the early 20th century, if not earlier. Uh, and was not, I think it had an Australian connection. Uh, but. Well, there's a, there's I, a Looney Tunes, there's a, there's a Bugs Bunny Looney Tunes uh, uh, episode in which he meets uh, an Australian. Aboriginally, Aboriginal person uh, who's named, I think, Bushy Hair. And okay. <laughs> and it's it's just completely crazy. And it, it, you have screams coming from Bushy Hair and and Bugs Bunny matching those screams, but with the with the words bonga bonga. So right. Uh, yeah, and and now we've got this this uh, what is a, a terrible story. Uh, and so this phrase again has come into uh, sort of the public consciousness uh, for the same reasons that it did with Berlusconi. Uh, in this case, I think you're talking about uh, Christopher yeah. Saunders, the, the Bishop Emeritus of Broome, uh, who was arrested and then charged uh, with rape and other charges. Um, now, it's notable that the... One thing that uh, has to be said is that we are continuing to see what I would argue anyway, is the effectiveness of Pope Francis' decree, Vos Estes Lux Mundi. Yeah, that's true. Which uh, I think this is the first of its kind of an, this type of an investigation in Australia. Uh, we go back to 2019 when the motu proprio on Vos Estes was issued. And what it does is uh, establish various norms uh, for how to handle sexual abuse cases. But it was particularly focused on those who were in authority. Yeah. Because one of the questions that had emerged in the sex abuse crisis is, all right, how do bishops investigate other bishops? And in this case, the investigation at the de decree of Pope Francis was uh, overseen by Archbishop Mark Coleridge uh, of the Archdiocese of Brisbane. Mm -hmm. And it, he issued a report, and that led to uh, these allegations that then led to, because the report was given to the Australian police, and that led one thing to the next, and here we are that the, I believe, the detectives from the child abuse squad uh, arrived and had an ongoing investigation into what is considered historic uh, abuses. But nevertheless, he's now been charged. So it, I'm not saying that this is a, a flawless system that's been installed because of Vosestes, but I think the, the mechanisms are there. And this is, uh, can be looked at as a, as a situation where, yes, Vosestes can work when it's done right. Yeah. No, that's very good. Uh, the, the thing that frustrates me about these stories is that he was, uh, he's 74 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and apparently, these are charges that go way back, and you just wonder how he spent his entire ecclesial life, um, uh, you know, carrying on. Uh, right. And, and you just don't why this didn't why this didn't come forth earlier. 
I was told the police, I read somewhere, the police had had investigated and uh, decided not to bring charges, and then it was Pope Francis who reopened the case. That's uh, right. Under ecclesial tribunal, and uh, and that then led to uh, formal charges. So Right, and, and in this case, uh, a lot of these uh, allegations took place uh, between 2008 and 2014 uh, in different parts of uh, his diocese, because that also extended over uh, areas of the aboriginal community. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is a, somebody who had been appointed bishop in 1996 and was uh, faced the allegations, I think, in 2020, yeah. and then stepped back and then resigned the next year, but he did so on uh, citing ill health. So, I mean, he's, he's one year ahead of what is the typical age for uh, resignations yeah. or, or retirement. So clearly there was a lot surrounding him. Uh, but you're right. Uh, and, and this is one of the frustrations, too, over the years that uh, investigations will be done and sometimes uh, either authorities will not press charges for whatever reason or they at that point they couldn't get enough evidence or there weren't enough people coming forward. And I think that's, again, where Vosestis, I think, has proven to be very helpful because it does give at least the clear indication that those in authority, bishops, archbishops, and even cardinals, can and will be held accountable if allegations are made and they're proven to be true. Yeah. And in contrast, maybe uh, ask about the... Uh, the opening of the Rome catechism, uh, catacombs uh, for f- guided tours and moments of prayer and reflection uh, coming up. Yeah, uh, well, this is, uh, I'm, I'm always happy that uh, we are doing anything uh, that continues to shed light on the early church, but also uh, to celebrate uh, the, the, the remarkable beauty, as long as it's done uh, in a way that is safe for to be out the catacombs, yeah, yeah. Uh, because there is always this great concern. It, it, I know you've done the Scavi tour, right? I did not because it was unco- it was because uh, of my uh, yeah, wheelchair. Yeah, understood. It, it was it wasn't able to be done, but my wa- my wife did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, that's a, a great example. Uh, so those who may not be aware, these are the excavations of any St. Peter's Basilica. And they go to great lengths to limit how many tours can go down there, and everything is hermetically sealed to try to preserve the frescoes and other things that are in the tomb. And, and in this sense, uh, this is an exciting... We can pick this up by now yeah. uh, on the Rowan Catacombs. Uh, talking with Dr. Matthew Bunsen about scroll stories from around the globe dealing with the Catholic faith and the church as institution. Uh, talking about uh, Rome's catacombs, which will be open to the public for free guided tours. And moments of prayer and reflection on Saturday, March 2nd. It's part of the 7th edition of Day of the Catacombs. We'll talk more. Beacon Skin and Surgeries is a comprehensive dermatology center on the border of Troy and Rochester Hills, south of M59 and in Livonia. Beacon Skin and Surgeries perform full skin exams and focus on the diagnosis and treatment of all types of skin cancer and precancerous lesions. All are board certified dermatologists and fellowship trained surgeons. Call 248-852-1900. Beacon Skin and Surgeries, a beacon for patient care. 248-852-1900. 
This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. The Catholic Church teaches that Jesus Christ is literally and wholly present, body and blood, soul and divinity, under the appearances of bread and wine. St. John the Apostle records the John chapter 6 Bread of Life discourse in which Jesus states that his flesh is true food and his blood true drink. Who better to understand John's writings and subsequent teachings than a disciple and student of John, St. Ignatius of Antioch? In his letter to the Smyrnians in 110 A.D., Ignatius writes, I have no taste for corruptible food, nor for the pleasures of this life. I desire the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ. And for drink, I desire His blood, which is love incorruptible. The Catholic Church absolutely follows St. John and St. Ignatius in taking Jesus at His word. Examining the truths of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. If you ask others what kind of friend you are, what do you think they would say? We know the golden rule was quoted by Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount and described by him as the second great commandment. The common phrasing is, do unto others as you would do unto yourself. We are made for friendship, for fellowship, to be together. How we treat others when we're with them and not with them speaks to our character and the type of friend we are to others. Adam and Eve enjoyed fullness of friendship, but their sin led them into hiding. Do you hide yourself from your friends? No matter the persona you present, you can never really hide yourself from God. He knows what's in your heart and how you share that heart with others. Perhaps an awareness exercise would be to ask others what kind of friend you are to them. You might just be amazed at what you learn. This has been a Christ Center communication message. I'm Vanessa Donhagarmo, a communications evangelist and host of Epiphany. Welcome to an Advanced Dentistry Center family. This is Dr. Metti and our team strives to treat you like family in a loving and compassionate way as we focus on serving you in a Christ-like manner. We do this by emphasizing prevention and general well-being for a lifetime. Our private practice is small, personal, state-of-the-art, and innovative with the goal to educate and motivate our patients in improving their oral health. It is through a partnership with you that you will achieve the goals for your smile. Advanced Dentistry is serious about the level of care we provide with attention to details and an exceptional level of care, skill, and judgment. We are thrilled for the opportunity to serve you. Dr. Matthew and the team invite you to visit them at AdvancedDentistryCenter.com or call them at 248-594-9592. That's 248-594-9592. AdvancedDentistryCenter.com Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. I'm with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Let me, before we get back to our conversation, let me mention the Fierce Athlete Podcast. This features female athletes being raw, real, about the joys and struggles of life, both on and off the field. 
and how their faith heals wounds, reveals true beauty. And you can hear the Fierce Athletes as well as Faithful Podcasts from our friends and affiliates around the world all in one place now, uh, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. And you can visit this at EWTN.com slash radio and click on Podcast Central today. Uh, so it's just a nice new development that we see at EWTN. I'm with Dr. Matthew Bunsen, uh, and we've been, <clears throat> been looking at stories from around the, the globe. We uh, closed off last segment uh, talking about the uh, catacombs uh, in Rome, uh, a fresh release circulated by the Pontifical Commission for Sacred Archaeology points out that um, we are having on Saturday, March 2nd, um, an open, uh, open cat, Rome's catacombs will be open for free guided tours and moments of prayer and reflection. Uh, this is part of the seventh edition of Day of the Catacombs. What does that mean? Well, yeah, what it means is that uh, these are days that are set aside to allow uh, free guided tours. Uh, but it's not just a guided tour. It's also moments, as they say, of prayer and reflection. Mm-hmm. And this has been going on for, as, as they note, uh, seventh editions of this. Okay. In, in a similar way, too, that... Um, how, how often, though? I thought it was annual. Okay. Okay. And this one has uh, particular interest because it, it falls within the year of prayer that uh, Pope Francis has asked for in preparation for the next year, the 2025 Jubilee. Mm -hmm. And so there's an opportunity then to focus on the the origins, the early life of the church, but to do so in a a way that's very prayerful. Uh, And what's interesting about this is that, uh, as the Pontifical Commission that's in charge of all of this says, that the... as they notice, is evocative memory directly perceived and experienced cannot fail to arouse profound reflection, and therefore for believers, prayer. As we think about what went on in terms of the, the, the catacombs, but also in this particular one, uh, it's on the Via Solaria, uh, which is uh, one of the main, very famous area in Rome. And I believe that this one is going to be held in the, the catacomb of Priscilla, and Rome has a, a number of very prominent catacombs. And why, why are they named like the Catacomb of Priscilla or the Catacomb of St. Agnes? Well, in part because uh, you have relics that were often Associated left there. With yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Uh, or, uh, in some cases, you'll have uh, property that it was, that people who owned it, or there are some direct connections uh, to these names and to... Um, monasteries that took place there so okay. it there's a, a beautiful and, and very ancient connection to some of these names nice well um do you have any idea how well attended these events are uh i've uh, my understanding is that they are very well attended because uh it, it reminds me in some ways of uh the vatican museum which will open its doors uh at night or on, on holidays and other things uh free of charge for people to to go in there is this longing, there is this fascination uh, with the ancient world, but also with, uh, what's that phrase, it's the truth and beauty. Yeah. And in this case, it isn't, it, it's an underground uh, catacomb. And when you go down, you can see uh, art of pieces from the Old Testament, from the New Testament. And 
what is part of it is to be able to walk these same roads oftentimes underneath the ground mm-hmm. where the early Christians walked. But then there are also uh, some connections uh, with great saints. Um, and, for example, we, we know that St. Philip Neri, St. Jerome, and others mm. loved these places as well. Okay. So we're not just walking in the footsteps of early Christians, we're also walking in the footsteps of great saints. Uh, interesting. Yeah, and you hope that there is some sort of spiritual leakage that uh, you can pick up there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, here, here's a story that's bound to, uh, to raise curious questions. Four Catholic bishops uh, made headlines recently after it was learned that they had met with members of organized crime in the Mexican state of, I think it's Guerrero, um, what do you know about this? Yeah, this is um, one of those stories I think that uh, was some perhaps misunderstood when uh, it when it was first reported in a few different directions. And you're absolutely right. Essentially, we have uh, the Bishop of uh, Chilampanchingo, Chilapa, uh, and uh, various other bishops around him uh, from Talapa, from Ciudad Altamirano. Uh, what they wanted to do was to figure out a way where local officials or the government itself had failed uh, to try to find some way to bring about peace in the region. And the, the point of it is it's, it's a kind of indictment uh, of the failure of Mexican authorities, in yeah. particular the Mexican government, to deal with organized crime. Uh, but it is it has gotten so out of hand that, uh, as one of the bishops pointed out, you, you cannot remain indifferent uh, to the suffering of the community. And because so many of the parish priests are in frequent, almost con- constant contact or encountering uh, the suffering of the population, that these bishops felt moved to try to figure out a way, is there some path uh, to ending this. If, if you want an example, in, in previous years, I, I think of the bishops and priests in the, the, the era after, and I'm not trying to make a parallel here, but the fall of the Roman Empire, especially in the West, yep. that in the absence of government, these bishops and these pastors had to come forward and deal with the reality that was in front of them, yeah. and that often meant assuming these positions of either as as peace brokers or were people who are trying to find a way forward for an end mm-hmm. to the violence. Yeah, this is this is a shame when civil civil authorities um, break down like this, and the church is forced um, to begin to try to make peace between you know warring gangs. Or I'm not exactly certain these, who these uh, uh, these uh, organized crime bosses were. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know how influential they are, uh, but I mean, what 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 would one expect a bishop to do um, if the civil authorities have have lost their capacity to limit human suffering and to limit evil? Uh, you, you've got to step in and do what you can. Yeah, uh, and the uh, the region in which all of this is happening, Guerrero, um, has been termed 
in various uh, media reporting as a, a failed state. It, it's a failed region, in, in part because it is so awash uh, with drugs and violence. Uh, so, for example, opium, you've got heroin, uh, you've got uh, fentanyl. All of this uh, is present in this part of Mexico. And I think the, the, the numbers, when I remember the numbers, there were almost 1,400 homicides uh, just in the area. Mm. And the vast majority of those were carried out with weapon, you know, firearms, and that sort of thing. So it gives you an idea of the scale of the violence, but it's also just the suffering of people. Uh, it, and the bishops simply could not stand by in the face and the absence of the authorities doing something about it. Now, the issue becomes, is there, are there going to be real results coming from this? And, and uh, I think there's not a lot of optimism there, you know, but at least it was worth trying. Yeah, yeah the, you've got to act and leave, leave the outcomes sometimes to just providence. Yeah. Um, this Father Raymond D'Souza uh, done some interesting commentaries recently. And one of them has to do, um, actually, I'm going to switch gears. I was going to go with this story, but I look at the clock. We've got only four minutes left. And I wanted to talk about Poland. Uh, we talked about Poland in one of our recent get-togethers. But there's been a change of political authority there in Poland. The right-wing, as they call it, the right-wing Law and Justice Party, uh, has ended its eight-year um, governance. And you've got uh, a different coalition uh, that tends to be more secularized. And there are people who are wondering what happened. Given the, the faith of the Polish people, they understand that they are fundamentally a Catholic people. Uh, how did they end up uh, electing or permitting there to be a parliamentary majority uh, yes. of largely secularists? Well, you, you've hit the, the, the exactly most important term here, and that is parliamentary, parliamentary majority. Yeah. So it is uh, a matter of electoral fact uh, that the longtime uh, Law and Justice Party, which has been, I would say, defamed and mocked and ridiculed and misrepresented by many in the mainstream Western secular press, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm as nationalist and racist and everything else, lost, despite the fact that it actually remains the, the country's largest political party and won 35% of the vote in elections back in October. However, it lost the majority in the parliament to what was a coalition of leftist and center, even center-right parties that saw an opportunity to unseat it and then to have a seat at the table, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that ushered in uh, a new government. And it, let's just say that um, President Donald Tusk, that's Tusk, not Trump, <laughs> <laughs> President Donald Tusk, or Tusk, uh, was sworn in. Uh, he is a former European Council president. So that tells us something mm -hmm. in terms of his, both his politics and his vision. So this is a, a government now that is moving very swiftly in an almost shock and awe fashion uh, to introduce massive westernization, massive uh, secularization, uh, and 
I would encourage everyone to go to ncregister.com and read a fantastic piece by Solène Tadier, uh, the European correspondent, on this very issue. Because the question is now being asked is, that, is all of this going to lead to the kind of unraveling of Polish Catholic culture? Poland has been a mainstay uh, for decades, especially since the fall of the, the Soviet Union, uh, in preserving Catholic culture. And now the question is, in the light of what's un- unraveling there, unfolding, uh, will that be maintained? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I was surprised. Uh, Tusk is a self-professed Catholic, but he called for the removal of all crucifixes and other religious symbols from public places. It's almost as though they have a French understanding <laughs> of the separation of church and state. Uh, and I, I just... The Polish people, I, I thought, would react to that kind of heavy-handedness. Yeah, I, I think that uh, there was surprise when it first began, uh, and then uh, Tusk moved quickly to silence a lot of his opponents, uh, television, radio, and in the press. Mm. So we'll have to see what unfolds there. Matthew, thank you once again. It was great. Covered a lot of ground. We did. A privilege. <laughs> All right. Blessed Lent. Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Uh, Again, you can hear him on the Register Radio, Saturdays at 4 p.m., Sundays at 11 a.m. I'm Al Creston. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Food for the Journey, Sister Ann Shield. You know, we would avoid a lot of difficult arguments just spouting off at the mouth, as we sometimes say. Just ask the Lord. Give me the words to say. Maybe I'm rightfully angry, but if I just shout and yell and scream, what good is that going to be? Brothers and sisters, God can give us much more control over our anger, over our fear, over our language. And so whenever you're in a tight spot, just stop for a moment and say, Lord, what would you have me do here? God is good. I don't mean he's going to say words that will come down from heaven. But if you pause just for a moment, you'll get hold of yourself. And you may well get a thought that you didn't have before. And sometimes it's just quiet, but it's enough to bring down the steam. And then you think what is really right to say here. You might be justifiably angry. How do we respect the other person while we're correcting them. Please, brothers and sisters, let us open our hearts to God in those moments. Sister Ann Shields gives you food for the journey, weekday mornings at 645 and again at 1130 on 990 Ave Maria Radio. Good day, I'm Al Cresta. Thank you for being with me. And I want to say that our friends in Central Texas need to hear from you next week. Armor of God Catholic Radio is airing their spring pledge drive uh, through the week. 
So if you're listening to either of their stations serving Kepner, Cameron, and Temple, Texas, or anywhere, please support Armor of God Catholic Radio, your local EWTN affiliate. And thank you again for being with me, uh, and you can follow up on the conversations I had with Matthew Bunsen. We have plenty of those available in the Crested Guest Archives. Also, uh, Hans and Sophie Scholl and the uh, White Rose Movement um, that we discussed earlier will have great articles related to the, uh, the White Rose. And then uh, in my conversation with Paul Shrimpton, and we also talk about Galileo's theological contributions. We have two outstanding articles there in the Crested Guest Archive. So thanks so much. Have a wonderful weekend. And I look forward, Lord willing, to being with you on Monday for another edition of Crested in the Afternoon. Crested in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A, radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.